Today's title to the sermon is the same thing, the same theme that we'll be discussing in our missions conference coming up in March. Uh, it's really simple. Uh, it's a simple understanding. It may be a hard application. Uh, his call, your answer, right? Um, and when we think about that, I think that there's two concepts to his call into our life. The first call is obviously the call into salvation. So when God draws you into him um, for the good news of the gospel, so that you can be blood-bought by the blood of Jesus and he can give you faith, or you can trust him by faith, by grace, uh, and you can come to him. Uh, that's, that's one of the calls that God places on our life. The second one is a little harder concept sometimes for us to get. Uh, it's the call into uh, obedience. Uh, and I think or even lordship or kingship in your life. I think sometimes people of the church today, we have a misconception sometimes of that call in our life. Because we always think that when we hear that, that term, uh, that, it, that it's always a call into vocational ministry. And that's not always the case. It may be, uh, but it may not be either. It may just be a call into the act of obedience so that you can surrender your life into the lordship of Jesus. Uh, I know for me, salvation came. And I know that when salvation comes, uh, you're supposed to surrender your heart, surrender your life to Jesus. For me, it didn't really happen that way. I came to Christ, I uh, surrendered my heart, but I didn't surrender my life until later on in life. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, he actually done that. I actually give him my, the reins of my life on, on the mission field. So it was one of those things. You can, hopefully you can see that's the reason I'm so passionate about missions is I really gave my heart to Jesus about two years before I really gave my reins to my, to, to, to my life to him. So with that concept this morning, I want you to think about those two things. Is his call your answer? And it's not necessarily into the call into vocational ministry. But you think about the things that, that Jesus calls us to do, uh, and, and what is your answer to that call? Uh, one of the things you guys know, most of you know, I just got back from Africa a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some of the things that we did there, uh, it was really crazy. Um, I wasn't prepared to do a lot of stuff uh, that I, I, I got thrusted into. I guess God had a plan and prepared for me to do that, but I wasn't really ready. Uh, the, the first night, I think I got there about midnight. I found out that I was going to be teaching a pastor's conference for the next three days that I totally wasn't ready for. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe a, a couple sermons a day. I went up preaching eight times in, in three days uh, on the eastern side of Uganda. And then we traveled to the southern tip of Uganda to a place called Kisoro. Uh, I met back up with the medical team there. And through the medical team, we actually saw about 450 people uh, to an unreached people group uh, called the Botna people. Uh, we saw about 450 uh, and then I actually preached on the radio uh, in Kisoro, and then I preached in a church again. So I preached 10 times, three-day medical clinic. So it was a really, really busy, chaotic, crazy week, and it was glory to God. All the things that happened was really, really awesome. But out of all that busyness, out of all the things that happened, there was two very unique, very defined God moments is what I call them. Uh, they, they're moments that, that the Lord uses to define us, to change our perspective, and for us to answer a call that he has on our life. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to those two things, but I want to give you a reference of his call, your answer. Uh, we'll start out in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 19 is where we're going to be. And it's the story of the Apostle Paul, uh, his call uh, into salvation. Uh, it's his, his, uh, his plea 
Uh, when in, in verses 1 and 2, as you're turning there, I just want to kind of lay out the foundation. It's a very familiar piece of Scripture to most, but some, not, not, not everyone may not know the, the, the entirety of what the, the background is. So Saul of Taurus uh, was a Pharisee. He had much training. He had much uh, zeal, much passion uh, for the law. Uh, Paul was very ambitious, and he, was very, he had a high amount of desire to eliminate and eradicate the way or the gospel. So his, his plan was to go to the synagogue and get permission to go to Damascus so that he could arrest or bind up anyone that was of the way, and he could bring them back to Jerusalem. But on this path... Uh, of the road to Damascus, Paul had a, a, a spiritual awakening. He had a moment that changed his life forever, and then he was never the same. So you see this in the foundationally the way it's laid out in Acts chapter 9, and you see the transition in his life. So I think the first point for us this morning is salvation of one always has obedience from another. So let me explain. When I came to know Christ, I had someone and people praying for me before I accepted Christ a long time. So that obedience for some was to pray for my salvation. When I came to Christ, I had a brother in Christ that actually shared his faith with me that brought me into the kingdom of God. Look, he, had not, he, he did not have the authority or the power to save me. But he led with the obedience that God had given him. He gave him a story to tell, and he told me his story, which led me into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus drawed us together. He used a man through the obedience of one to draw me into a relationship with him. So that's what I mean when I say God uses salvation through the obedience of one to bring us into the kingdom of God. Here you see the same story start to come, come about. In verse 1, you see that Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So you see that he, he set out on this ambitious, desired journey to arrest anyone of the Christian faith. In verse 3 is where you really see the transition start to happen with Paul in his life. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. It was in the middle of the day. <clears throat> a blinding light comes from heaven. He falls down on the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5 says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he is trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So his response was, the Lord says, go. So you, you hear the theme, God's call, your answer. God's call to Saul was he blinded him on the road of Damascus. He fell down on the ground, and the first thing his response was is, what do you want me to do, Lord? And Jesus' response was, go. So he said, go into the city where you will be told what you must do. So you see, the, I, I think a lot of times what we do is we, we complicate the gospel. And what I mean by that is, is we think that we have to come up with some elaborate story that's going to entice someone to, to encourage them to come to faith in Christ. 
And the reality of that story is that Jesus is always, he always goes before you. He sends the Holy Spirit of God before you to start to work on the heart to penetrate the person that he's already asking you to go and to share with. So it's through that act of obedience that God uses you or me to bring others to faith in him. So he, what do you think would have happened if someone would have went to the Saul of Taurus before this experience on the road to Damascus to share their faith with him about Jesus? It probably wouldn't have ended well. So Jesus, here it is. He, he appears to Saul, breaks him down. You see his, his, his zeal and his passion. He goes from the jailer and the punisher of the people of faith. You see that he has the greatest God moment of his own life. You see that he's changed forever. He had all kind of training. He knew he had knowledge. He had background. He had experience. But he had never truly experienced a God moment. And through this experience, he did. He started to open up his eyes. Even though he was blinded, now you see a man that was prideful. He was boastful. He was ambitious. And he had a desire to eradicate Christianity. And now you see him at a sense of humility. And he's having to be led by hand into Damascus. So he was leading the charge to now he's following so his response in verses 7 through 9 is really cool. And the men journeyed with him, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground when his eyes were opened, but he saw no one. They led him by the hand through and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he ate nothing. So here it is. He's on the road to Damascus, and he's going into town. He's being led by one, and he cannot see anything. Saul now waited for clarity through prayers and also fasting. I believe that our response to God's call should be yes. We should respond with a go, but we also should respond with prayers and fasting to get clear direction. Our response should be yes, not the delayed response, but then we should seek guidance from Jesus to see what he really wants us to do. And that's what the Apostle Paul did here. So through this process, he put his yes on the table. So you see his response. The next part of this story is really uh, is one of my favorites just because here it is. So, so many of us cannot relate with Saul. We can't relate with his training, with his ability to preach, to teach, his knowledge. But we can relate to Ananias. So Ananias, the Lord appeared to Ananias. So you see now, you see this transition again in his call to Ananias is very similar to, to Saul. But the thing I want you to notice is that Ananias responds quickly. So he knew the sound of God's voice. He knew when he saw this in this vision that God was speaking directly to him. And his answer is just like in the, the prophet Isaiah. It's just like in Isaiah chapter 6 when, when God spoke to him. Isaiah, Isaiah knew the sound of his voice. He accepted who it was. And the first thing he said was... Here I am, Lord. Ananias' response was exactly the same. His response was quick. His response time was good. Ananias knew the sound of the Lord's voice. He said, here I am, Lord. And I think we got to go back to one of the things that, that I think a lot of people miss that's never been on a foreign mission. Could you show this picture? I've been asked this question my whole ministry. Why do you have to go to a foreign country to share the gospel? 
Well, the short answer is you don't, okay? <clears throat> but I tell you what it does. It does two things for me. The first thing that it does, the reason that I have to go is because Jesus said to. It's a really simple concept, right? He said go. So I believe that you should go. The second concept is, you see that face? It changes your perspective. You see people with nothing, and you see this joy. You see this hope that they have that you don't see here. So what does it do to me? It's just like in, in this story with Ananias, is it opens up my ears, it opens up my eyes to be able to be attentive to when God speaks to me, Jeremy listens. I can hear his voice so clearly, and it changes my perspective so much that when I come back here, I'm still in tune with what God wants me to do here. So that pretty face, that desire of hope, even though they have nothing, they have everything. Ananias said, here I am, Lord. That's what missions does for me, is it gives me the opportunity to do that. That response to me is the same. Ananias' response, unfortunately, is, is very much like ours many times. In verse 11, he starts to, what I call, he starts to debate with God. So the Lord said, arise and go to the, the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saurus of Taurus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive sight. Here's where it changes, right? This is where Ananias is incredibly responsive. He hears the sound of God's voice. He hears the call in his life. He responds and he says, here I am, Lord. And then after Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. He was like, hold up a minute. How many of us sitting here today have had that same God experience where God says, Jeremy, and you say, here I am, Lord. And he says, I want you to go do this. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go share your faith with this person. And you think, my goodness, that person is the meanest person I've ever met in my entire life. And Ananias starts to debate with God. And, and it's like it's a report to God. Like God, like God didn't create creation. He spoke creation in existence. I believe that he knew who Saul was. Amen? And Ananias comes to him just like you and I do. And he says, have you, do you, have you not heard who this guy is and what he's been doing to your saints? What has he been doing to your people? Not only is he persecuting them to death, but he's binding them up in prison. He has the authority to lock, to lock them up right now and carry them back to Jerusalem. Have you not heard? And God so patiently allows this response from Ananias, just like he does with us so many times. He lets us plead our case. And even though that Ananias had an objection to go and share in this with, with uh, Saul, the God of heaven rejected his objection. And he said, go do this. The difference between Ananias and many of us is Ananias actually debated, but he also delivered what God said. So his obedient call from the Lord, his response was, Okay, Lord, I'll go take care of this. So he goes and does exactly what the, the Lord asked him to do. And then in verse 15, you start to see the transition. See, Ananias was worried about suffering. He was worried about persecution. 
But the Bible tells us in, in verse 15, he says, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So the Saul of Taurus, the persecutor, the jailer, the punisher, ambitious, desired to destroy Christianity, God was telling Ananias that he is made for my service. And he has a plan for his life. So not only is he made for his service, he's going to use all of his training, all the things that he had. He's going to use it for the glorification of God. But he's going to use Ananias' obedience to catapult him or send him off into the ministry. Not only is he going to use him for his service, but he's also going to use him for his suffering. Do you think if for one moment Ananias ever thought or ever would have believed that his act of obedience would catapult the greatest pastor, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary to ever live behind Jesus Christ himself? Think about the thousands and thousands of people that have came to faith in Christ by his writings, his teaching, even his preaching. Not for one moment Ananias ever thought that he would be doing the, the will of the Lord to the man that would lead so many folks to the Lord. It brings me back to the thought that Johnny Hunt said one time. He said, you may not be the one to lead thousands to the Lord, but you may be the one that God uses to lead the one that will. See, through this story of Ananias' act of obedience, he heard his call, he responded with a yes, and he went through and he done the things that he needed to do in the conversion of Paul. He went from Saul of Taurus to the Apostle Paul. That transition can happen right before our eyes. Not only is he made for service, but he was also made for suffering. And he goes in in verse 16 and he tells about the suffering that he's going to, to suffer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, you'll see the conception there that Paul breaks, <clears throat> breaks down the fact of his sufferings. How many times he'd have been beaten. How many times he'd been starved. He'd been naked. He'd have been cold. He'd been shipwrecked. He breaks down all the things that he suffered later on. But God's Word is telling us here that he was made for suffering. And all it took is the act of obedience of one man to say, Yes, I'll go do your work, Lord. I know it's dangerous. The difference is that Ananias was asked to go to a Christian killer. Most of us are asked to share our faith to the lady at the store. And we still say no. Or we still try to debate. And we, we get into a debating with God and then we disobey through our delay. So not only do you see that Acts, it finishes off in Acts and it tells in, in verse 17 through 19 that Ananias done exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. He was faithful to the call that he had placed on his life. The next part of this sermon actually goes into Acts chapter 26. The point is our salvation should drive us to an act of obedience to share our story. If we've all been blood-bought by the blood of Jesus and we belong to the kingdom of God, then we all have a special story that's unique to us. God may be using your story to bring someone else to faith in Him, but He just needs your answer to be yes to be able to do that. So many times, church, we, we, we get caught up in the things in our situation and we neglect the will of God. And we not only miss the opportunity because God is sovereign. God's going to get his job done regardless if you're the vessel or not. 
But think about an amazing responsibility and also an obligation and also an awesome blessing that it is for God to use you and me in his great work in the kingdom of God. But all he needs, church, is your yes. And he'll take care of the rest. With the Saul of Taurus, he went on the road to Damascus to prepare the way for Ananias to do his thing. He used the act of obedience for salvation through Ananias that blessed many, many. Our salvation should drive us with the act of obedience. In Acts chapter 26, it's the story of King Agrippa. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's made his plea to go to Rome. But in this process, Festus and King Agrippa wants to hear his plea. So the Apostle Paul, now you see him fast forward, catapulted into the ministry. Paul had been beaten, scorned, shipwrecked, naked, cold, hungry, no place to go. Been beaten several times. He was jailed and he was an innocent, innocent man when he was put in prison. And here it is. He was given a platform to plead his case to these very powerful men. And instead of the Apostle Paul trying to claim his innocence or trying to talk about all the sufferings he's had, he used this great platform for the glorification of God to tell them the great hope that lies in him. So he used this platform to share his faith, to tell them that they also could trust in him. In Acts chapter 26, it goes on to say, and I know for sake of time, we probably won't get into most of it, but in, in, in verse 19 through 29, he gives his, his, his defense not for his innocence, but for the gospel's sake. That's all that mattered. And he goes in and he starts talking and he's telling the story of how he came to faith and how it's made for all. It's made for the great and the small. It's made for everyone. Festus jumps up in this conversation and says, you know what, Paul, all your studying, all your learning has made you mad. In other words, he's insane. And Paul answers him. He, he takes an audience of two. And after he jumps up and says, you've gone mad, you've gone insane, Paul narrows his audience to one. Because he, I guess he realized he had lost Festus in this process. So now he focuses on King Agrippa. And he says, King Agrippa, you believe in all the prophets, right? You believe that. So he goes on to plead his case for the sake of the gospel. And through this process, King Agrippa finally says, Paul, man, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. I was so close. Remember earlier in the sermon, I told you there was two defined moments in my whole tree of all the craziness that we'd done the sharing the gospel with the Muslim women, the preaching 10 times, the preaching on the radio. Well, Saturday night before we left the leave to come home on Sunday, I got sick. I'm telling you, I wasn't feeling good. Went ahead and went and preached on the radio, come back, tried to go to bed. I stayed up all night long. I was sick. I'm talking about sick, sick. Sunday morning, I had to preach in a church. And if you've never been to Africa, when you go to preach in a church, it starts at 10, and I got done at 1.30. That's the worship service. That's not three worship services. That's one. So I knew I had to do that. I knew it was going to be hot. And look, I did not feel good. I'm talking about like I was pleading with the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to give me the grace. You're going to have to give me the power to get through this. So I finally made it through the worship service, and we left, and we started. My hope was this. We had a team of doctors there from the medical clinic that we saw like 450 people in. And they, we had separated from them. 
me and another pastor. So my hope was, my prayer all, all night long, God, just let me get back to the doctor so that they can give me something so I can get home. So we made it out of the church, and I'm starting to feel just a little bit better, and we go to a gas station, and an attendant pumps diesel fuel in our gas car. The good thing is the young man actually was honest, and he said, man, I went to pay him, and he's like, oh, I pumped gas, or fuel in your car. So we, long story short, we push the car over, and we start draining the gas and the fuel out of the car. And look, I'm sick. I am sick. And the smell of gas is just, I'm talking about overbearing and nauseating. And then through this process, God says, I want you to share your faith, share your testimony, share it with this young man at the gas station. My response was just like Ananias's. I responded with, God, do you not know how bad I feel? Do you not know that I'm so sick I can't hold my head up? So through this process, I had to walk away from where the young man was, and I walked over in the corner in the process. I actually talked to Amanda, and we went back. I went back, and I thought, you know what? I am going to, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to do it, Lord, okay? I, even though I'm sick, I missed an opportunity. I, I, I let my situation dictate my response to the gospel, and I delayed. And my delayed caused me not to be able to have the right opportunity because when I was going to do it, we kind of got in a debate or argument, whatever you want to call it, about how much gas that they were going to have to put back in our car. So I lost the opportunity. So I missed the window. And man, I, I tell you, I was so convicted, got in the car, I was sick, and I didn't feel good. So finally I made it back to the doctors, and they were actually able to give me some stuff that made me feel a little bit better to at least get me home. When I got on the plane in Amsterdam, I actually run into my second occurrence that it was really a true God moment. I met a man from the United Kingdom. We got to talking about why I was there. Got to share my faith with him. Um, he had a friend of his that was a pastor that had also been sharing with him. He was from the Church of England. He had a lot of background. He had a lot of Bible knowledge. For four hours, I talked to this man on the plane. I debated. I talked to him with grace, with love. And he was this close. I'm talking about this close. And he said, I don't know what it is. There's something that's holding me back. He said, the same experience happened with, with my friend. He said, I got so close. I felt something inside. It was warming up. And he said, I just could not do it. So it's for four hours. I get to know him. And I'm trying to tell him about the gospel. And I'm trying to tell him, look, today is the day for salvation. You may not get another opportunity. This situation with King Agrippa brings to my mind. Man, and I, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, the Bible never talks about King Agrippa ever having another opportunity to come to him. And I think about the situation with Simon. I said, he said, I'm almost persuaded to be a Christian. And I think about all the things that we did, and all of them are great God things. But those are two very defining moments that when God calls, our answer should be yes, regardless of the situation. Because our window may be small. You may be there just to plant a seed, but you may be there to see that thing explode with fruit. But we have to be willing, church. We have to be willing. And I think about the context of, of the old song that's, that was written many years ago. So Philip Bliss wrote a song, wrote a hymn in the 1800s called Almost Persuaded. 
And he wrote it because he heard a sermon preached by Reverend Brundage. And, and through this Brundage, and at the end of his sermon, he said, He who is almost persuaded is almost saved. And to be almost saved is to be entirely lost. Philip could not forget those words. So he went and penned the words of the song, Almost Persuaded. And the words say, Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day. O thee I'll call. And I think about those two scenarios. The first one, I debated and I delayed and I missed it. Did I miss it and he missed eternity? That I can't tell you. But I can tell you I missed it. And it's all because I let my situation dictate my act of obedience. So his call, my answer was, Lord, do you not understand? The second scenario broke my heart as much as the first one. Even though I reacted and I acted with a faith of obedience, my goodness, he was so close. And he said, I'm almost ready. See, that's the problem, church. Almost is not good enough. We almost shared our story. We almost shared our, our faith. We almost told that person that we ran into at the gas station or the, the convenience store or even our parents or even our daughter, our son, whoever God has put in your life to share your story with. Don't have regrets. When he calls, let your answer be like Ananias and just say yes. Even though he debated, his response was much different. I believe the Bible's teaching us two important truths here. One is whether responding to the call of salvation for the very first time, don't delay. If you've never responded to faith in Christ here and you're here this morning and you're hearing this almost persuaded, do not leave this building. Today is the day for salvation. You're not promised tomorrow and neither am I. Death, we all have an appointment with it. You can't escape it. Your call into salvation is to come now. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. And the second thing is, if God is calling you to do something, my challenge, my prayer to you and to me is don't delay. Eternity is too long to be wrong. So don't miss the window. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you, God, that you've given us an opportunity as believers in you to share our great story of, of transition and salvation. But God, with that great story, there's great obligation and great responsibility. Don't let our window close on our act of obedience. Your call is your call. And that means that we should respond so what is the answer going to be today? Your call to us, is it into salvation? Or is it just an act of obedience? Father, my prayer is today that this church can be encouraged but challenged to just to respond with a yes, Lord, and I'll do whatever you ask. 
Father, that's what my prayer is today. So as we close, God, I just pray that your people can have the courage to stand up, stand out, come down, do what's necessary, Lord. Because eternity is way too long to be wrong. In Christ's name, amen.